0: Uh, we're going to go straight into hearing from Bill, and so we're in this series on uh, series on prayer. Can I ask a quick? Um, this will help to get your attention. Can I can I ask a quick uh, straw poll? If you if you miss a um, a talk here at Hope and you want to catch up with it, what's your preferred platform? Do you go to a podcast or do you look at our YouTube? I really like to get a feel for how much our YouTube videos are being used and how much. So first up, put up your hand if you would use a podcast. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six. And, w- and then put up your hand if you'd go to our YouTube. Okay, so it's about equal. Okay, thanks. Third option, just about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Highly recommend catching up with uh, previous talks. Over to you. Thank you, Chris. Um. Yes, so we're, we're in this series on prayer. We've looked at scripture. We've looked at the early church. We're also going to look at a bit of church history. Um, so, first slide, please, Sam. Yeah, next slide, then. <laughs> uh, can you see that clearly? Does anyone know where that is? It's a place I visited uh, about five years ago, December 2019, it's called the Wartburg. It's a castle in eastern Germany. And it's the place where Martin Luther uh, hid for a year. In, in 1521, he was in hiding after the Diet of Worms, um, which was this great public hearing which kind of launched the Reformation in, uh, in Europe. Um, and I'd studied the Reformation um, at college, and I really liked, i don't know why—but I just liked Martin Luther. Um, I, I warmed to him. I was impressed by him. I was fascinated by him, and I liked by him, uh, and I liked him. And it was really something to stand in his room, uh, the room where he basically spent a year in hiding for fear of his life. Um, while he was there, he just translated the New Testament from Greek into German. But that was by the by. The main reason he was there was he was in hiding. And I was there on this cold uh, December morning. Who was Martin Luther? Uh, quick history lesson. Next slide, please. Uh, there he is in the famous portrait by Kranach. Um I don't know how true to life that is. Most of Cranach's pictures look like that. Uh, <laughs> none of the people he painted are very beautiful. Um, but that's the only representation we have of what this German monk, this German Catholic monk looked like. It's hard to imagine the change that Luther and others brought about 500 years ago. Um, Before 1520, to be Christian in Europe was to be Roman Catholic. There was no other option. Um, The the Pope's monopoly on religion in Europe was complete. Um, After these events, after the Diet of Worms, um, after Luther nailed his 95 theses on the cathedral door in Wittenberg, everything changed. Um, so much of what we take for granted about what it means to be Christian and to, to live a Christian life today is as a result of these events. Uh, they began 500 years ago in the series of events that we now call the Reformation. Um, Luther wasn't alone, of course, uh, he was building on the work of others, people like John Wycliffe in, in Oxford, uh, Jan Hus in, in Bohemia, um, Erasmus of Rotterdam, they all went before and paved the way, and there were others who, who followed him and, and carried on his work, people like Calvin and Zwingli, um, Melanchthon, and of course Martin Bucer of Strasbourg, my favorite, um, but if you read a history of the Reformation, Martin Luther was absolutely central. And particularly in getting it going, he, he kind of lit the match that set off the explosion that, that changed the world. Um, Martin Luther was absolutely central to all of these changes and all of these things that we take for granted today. Uh, but this series is about prayer. And Martin Luther, above all else, was a man of prayer. Uh, Prayer was his priority. Um, So how did he pray? Why did he pray? Uh, And what did he teach about prayer? That's what I want to look at this morning. I'm going to look at three things. Um, First of all, I would argue that Martin Luther transformed theology. He transformed the understanding of God in Europe 500 years ago, and his prayer life changed as a, as a result. And I'm fascinated by that link. And I'm, I want to explore, does, does the, the way we pray actually betray our understanding of God? Is it a symptom of how we see God? Um, Martin Luther grew up in a world where forgiveness was earned. Forgiveness had to be paid for. Yes, God forgave, but you had to earn it. Uh, The Catholic Church at at that time, less so nowadays, taught about purgatory. Um, Basically, if if you're an unbeliever or a Turk, (laughs) is the way they thought, uh, if you're an unbeliever or a Turk, you went straight to hell when you died. Game over. But if you're a believer, you went to a place called purgatory, Now, purgatory was a place of suffering where you waited and where you paid off all the things that you'd done wrong in life. And you had to spend years and years and hundreds and thousands of years in purgatory before you'd paid for your sins and then you were allowed to go to heaven. That was the belief, purgatory. But there were things that you could do to get time off purgatory. Um, One of which was to become a monk. The reason Martin Luther, who was a promising young lawyer, the reason he became an Augustinian monk was he thought that it would earn him time off from purgatory. Martin Luther was terrified of God. God to him was terrifying and vindictive. God was all about punishment. And so he, became a, he gave up a promising career in law to become a monk because he thought that was a way of winning God's favor. Um, But another way you could get time off purgatory was by money. You bought something called an indulgence, which was a piece of paper from the Pope which guaranteed time off purgatory. The more money you gave, the more time you got off. The fact that the Archbishop of Mainz, who was in charge of selling these indulgences in Germany, uh, was in a lot of debt and needed to pay off his debts, And the fact that the Pope in Rome was trying to rebuild St. Peter's and it was costing more than he'd thought, the fact that they needed lots of cash was entirely coincidental, of course, in this theology of purgatory and the theology of indulgences. But Luther was a theologian. He taught New Testament at the University of Wittenberg and he studied the Bible. And famously, he studied Romans 1. And he discovered in (laughs) Romans 1 that forgiveness is a gift. Forgiveness is the grace of God. It's a free gift, and the way you access this gift is through faith. God wants to give us forgiveness for free. It doesn't have to be earned. And this was the heart of his argument with Rome, his argument with the Pope. He thought the Pope and the Catholic Church had got it wrong, that God wasn't this vindictive monster to be terrified by, God was a loving father who wanted to forgive us for free. And the thing is, Luther's prayer reflected his theology. So when he was an Augustinian monk, he had to pray five times a day. You, pre- you started off early in the morning with matins, and then you had terse and knowns and then vespers and then complin. And these were prayers that you just recited every day. You just read them out again and again and again. And you did it in order to win favor with God. That's why you repeated these words again and again, five times a day. And the trouble was, Martin Luther was busy. He was teaching in the university, he was preaching in his local parish church, and he was supervising 11 monasteries. And so he didn't have time to recite these prayers five times a day, And so he, but he kept a careful record And he stored them up. And then he'd spend whole, he'd take a Sunday to just say these prayers again and again and again to try and catch up because he didn't want to fall short because this was how you pleased God. And in fact, one time he took three days in a row and stayed up 24 hours, three days in a row, and made himself sick. He suffered with insomnia for several years afterwards because he was driven to say these prayers in order to pacify God, in order to win favor with God. That was Martin Luther before his theology changed. How did it change? How did Martin Luther see God once he realized that God wanted to forgive us for free? The first two words of the Lord's Prayer kind of became his foundation for understanding his relationship with God and understanding how to pray, our Father. That message just sank in so deeply with Luther that God wasn't this cruel, punishing, vindictive monster. God was his Father, and also a Father who commanded him to pray and promised to listen when he did pray. And that was the foundation for all of Martin Luther's prayer. Um, Here's a quote from, from Luther. Next slide, please. Now through your mercy implant in our hearts a comforting trust in your fatherly love, and let us experience the sweet and pleasant savour of a childlike certainty that we may joyfully call you Father, knowing and loving you and calling on you in every trouble. That sums up Martin Luther's theology and his prayer life. His prayer life reflected the way he saw God. And the result was his prayers came alive. He was renowned for being alive in God. He got so much joy and peace and life and love from his relationship with God because his picture of God had changed. And it's interesting to reflect on myself. How much do I pray because I know God's there and longs for me to talk to him? And how much does prayer become a way of earning something? In other words, how much does it depend on me? How much I pray? Have I got my stopwatch out to make sure I'm doing enough? Is it about the technique I use? Am I praying right? Am I using the right words? Am I using the right format? Is it all down to my performance? Or am I simply a child talking to his father? Um, For example, and I hesitate to say this because this church is really strong on 24-7 prayer. And I think 24-7 prayer is excellent. It's a really good thing to promote. And I don't want to undermine it in any way but i want to ask what's our motive what's our understanding do we want to pray 24/7 because we know that our father longs to hear us and it's a good thing to do so we want to be committed to it or do we somehow feel that if we pray 24 hours a day 7 days a week then kind of we've earned we've earned a hearing we're more likely to get God to answer our prayers because we've done what we need to do. It's so easy for human pride to begin to creep in and kind of contaminate the relationship. Fantastic. Pray, pray 24 hours. Luther said pray constantly. He prayed constantly. He would have been a big champion of 24-7 prayer. But he would also have said, what's going on in our hearts? Are we trying to earn it? Or are we just doing it because we're talking to our Father? He was also really big. And this is something that really struck me. It, he, he was a great teacher on prayer. And he gave lots of counseling and advice on prayer. And he was, a master, he was a giant of prayer. And yet all his advice to these people who were following in his footsteps was, Make it simpler. Make it simpler. You're just talking to your Father You know your father commands you to pray. You know he promises to listen, so pray. Um, Yeah, there we go. That's the first point. Second point. Um, I don't know if you remember, I I did a talk. Sorry, I'll just pick up my glasses. I did a talk a few weeks ago um, on prayer looking at John 15 and Jesus' uh, parable of the vine and the branches. Um, And one of the, the main points of that talk was Jesus' promise that if we remain in him, then we will bear fruit and fruit that lasts. If we want to leave a legacy, if we want to make a difference that lasts, then the way to achieve that is to remain in him. And it struck me as I was thinking about Martin Luther and prayer that he is a brilliant example. He's, he's almost the prime example of someone who chooses to remain in Jesus, chooses to spend his life in prayer, who leaves something of a legacy. I mean, has anyone else in the last 500 years left a legacy like Luther? If we think about the transformation in what it means to be a Christian, Um, I've talked a bit about this understanding that forgiveness is a gift. But on top of that, just think about um, how we worship God, how we pray to God. Today, it's taken for granted that we can do it ourselves. We don't need to go through the professionals. We don't need a priest to speak to God on our behalves. We can get together on our own, in a small group, and we can just talk to God for ourselves. That was revolutionary. Today we take it for granted. The fact that we can worship in our own language, that we can worship in English, that Luther could worship in German rather than Latin, we take it for granted. It was revolutionary. Everyone before Luther used Latin in Europe. Um, The fact that we can read the Bible for ourselves and read it in our own language, again, was one of Luther's key things. Why did he spend that year in hiding, translating the the Greek New Testament into German? Well, because printing had just been invented, and he wanted people to be able to read the Bible for themselves. Uh, Even things like when we take communion... Uh, what do we eat and drink, the bread and the wine? In the time before Luther, people only ate the bread. They were, they were terrified that people would drop the wine. The, those clumsy parishioners, they would spill the wine, and that would be the biggest heresy, and they couldn't trust the parishioners, so they just stuck to the bread. The priests could take the wine, because obviously tr- priests are more trustworthy. And these, you know, that's a, in comparison, it's a little thing, but today we take it for granted an incredible legacy. And yet, what did it take for someone to achieve that change? Well, Luther was pretty flawed. This is, this is my point. Luther was by no means perfect. He was a genius. He was, an inter- he was a scholar and an intellectual with the ability to translate the, the, the New Testament from Greek into German in a year. Um, And he had courage and integrity, incredible courage and integrity. But on top of that, he was shockingly undiplomatic. He wrote these tracts uh, attacking the Pope, attacking the Catholic Church, calling the Pope an Antichrist, calling Rome Babylon. You know, he he was no diplomat. There was no kind of, you know, can we find a way of, of resolving this amicably? He just went for it, you know, full bore. And all of his friends said, Martin, we wish you just would tone it down a bit. But if he got a beer in his bonnet, he just let rip. Um, he struggled with depression. All his life, he struggled with depression, on and off. His mental health was not strong. He was rude and crude. You know, I'm putting up some Luther quotes today. There are many Luther quotes I cannot put up. <laughs> I believe, I mean, I'm wondering if one of the reasons I like him so much is because of his rudeness and his crudeness. There may be an element of truth in that. He, he wasn't very religious at all. He was shockingly anti-Semitic. Uh, certainly by today's standards. Uh, it was more the norm when he was around. Um... But we find, you know, you read some of the stuff he wrote and you think, gosh, you know, how could you believe that? Especially if you're a Bible scholar. So he was deeply, deeply flawed. So how did this flawed man achieve so much? How did he change the world? Um, How did this man with real weaknesses do so much? Well, how did, what, what does he say? Uh, Next slide, please, Sam. As is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to make shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. It was his priority. It was his number one. He saw it as what he was here for. And he he didn't just say it, he put it into practice. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. Um, Another one. Next one, Sam. If I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. I have so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. I'm so busy that I have to spend three hours in prayer. He understood that achieving something, and achieving something that's going to last, depended on prayer. Depended on prayer and not much else. If he was willing to pray, then God would work through him. Um, Prayer was his priority. Do we want to make a difference? Do we want to to bear fruit that's going to last? Well, if so, I think we know what to do. Finally. And it's fascinating how... I I didn't know what Becca was going to talk about this morning. Um... But my final point is for Martin Luther, suffering and hardship were an invitation to pray, an invitation to a deeper relationship with God. It wasn't easy being the person who started the Reformation. Um, this is a quote from Johann Sliden who was the first historian of the Reformation. He was writing about 30 years after the events um, I've been talking about. And Sliden said, uh, The Reformation's beginning was small and almost contemptible, and one man alone, a while, bore the hatred and violence of the whole world. Talking about Martin Luther. It wasn't easy picking a fight with Rome. The last person... the The previous person who tried to pick a fight with Rome was Jan Hus, uh, the Bohemian, uh, founder of the Hussites. Uh, What happened to Hus? Well, of course, he was stabbed and burnt to death in Constance in Switzerland by the Catholic hierarchy. Uh, Why why was Luther hiding in the Wartburg? Well, because he was in fear of his life. Um, But far worse than his fears for himself was what was going on in his head he was ass- he was assailed by doubts he asked himself i am going against all the theologians in the world <laughs> you know everyone says one thing and i'm saying they're all wrong and they've been saying this for hundreds of years how do i know i'm right What if I'm wrong? And then the Reformation, much to his horror, became violent. You know, this great split between the Catholics and the Protestants in certain places resulted in hundreds, thousands of people losing their lives. And then he really started asking, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm the person who's responsible for this for no good reason? Um, And as I mentioned, this is a man whose mental health was already fragile before any of these events. Um, Luther ended up in the Wartburg, stripped of everything, assailed by doubts and fears, and tormented in his mind. But what does Luther himself say? Next slide, please. Let everyone know most assuredly and not doubt, that God does not send him this distress to destroy him. He wants to drive him to pray, to implore, to fight, to exercise his faith, to learn another aspect of God's person than before. Without this experience, we could never learn the meaning of faith, the word, spirit, grace, sin, death, or the devil. For Luther, all of these trials... All of this suffering and loss and hardship was an invitation. It was an invitation to pray and to lean more strongly on God. Because what he, God became his only resource. Everything else had been stripped away. So he depended utterly on God and he received more and more back. Stripped of his earthly riches... He discovered heaven's riches. I think Hugh said it brilliantly, describing that that, uh, moment um, downstairs in the loo. You know, it's what does suffering do? It gets us to a point of crisis where we're finally willing to give God everything. And the thing is, when we get there and we give God everything, then He gives us everything of Himself. That's when he gives us himself completely. Uh, why was I at the Wartburg? Well, because I was—I um, was kind of running, in a way. Um, I just—I ha- was leading a church, and I'd had a breakdown, and I just needed to get away. Um, it was mainly a Bach tour. Um, I've always loved Bach's music, and. Bach was born in Eisenach, which is just, you know, the village near the Wartburg. But I happened to go to the Wartburg because I was there, anyway. Um, but I was also in a place where everything, you know, Hugh talked about seeing your life set before you and all your expectations about how it was going to go and how you were going to be blessed. And I was in a similar place of everything had been taken away. And I was just wondering, where do, we, where do I go next? What's next? But the result of being in that place is I leaned on God like never before, and I knew him like never before. Am I saying we should look for suffering? If you like. I don't think it's very, I don't expect you to. I don't think people do. Um, But I do think we should um, be careful about how we think about suffering. When suffering, loss, and hardship come, what sense do we make of them? When God allows them in our lives, what do we say to ourselves? What do we say to ourselves about ourselves? Have I failed? Have I got it wrong? Is this a punishment? Have I somehow deserved this because God's angry with me? What do we say about God? about whether he's still there, about whether he still loves us, about whether he still has hope and promise for our lives. I think it's, it's a mistake to read into suffering and hardship and trials, truth about ourselves or God. God allows these things in our lives, and I think a much healthier way to look at it is the way Luther looked at it. This is an invitation that God is allowing for a time. And it's an invitation above all to give everything to him so that he can give everything to us. To realize where true riches lie. That's it. Should we pray? I think we should. Uh, let's let's just remember where we are and who we're with. Remember that we have a father. Our father is here, and our father longs to hear from us. He commands us to pr- to speak to him, to pray. And he promises that he'll listen. He's a father who loves us. Let's just sit for a moment in the presence of the father who loves us. Now what do you want to say to him? In particular, um, has prayer become distorted by pride? Has it become a means of persuading God or winning God's favor or somehow deserving his love and his acceptance? If so, just say sorry, put it right. If we think about what we want to achieve in life. How much have we been depending on ourselves. Our own skills. Effort. Knowledge. Hand it back to God. He is the one. Through whom we bear fruit. But finally. If we. If we're facing suffering, if we're facing trials, hardship, loss, then are we willing to allow God to use that in our lives to deepen our relationship with him? can we say yes lord and if we can't yet say yes lord if we're still resisting then are we willing to for him to change us to work in our hearts Or it may be something else. There may be some need, some priority, some concern or fear that we want to present to him. And if you are doing business with God, then please feel free to carry on. But you may also want to turn to the person next to you or around your table if there's something you'd like prayer for or to offer to pray for. So if you're doing great as you are, then keep going. But otherwise, have a look around. See if you can pray for someone or have prayer from someone.